Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. The title of my message this morning, for all the note takers in the room or the people who want to at least know the title of my message, is The Spring Within. The Spring Within. We're going to dive straight in to a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's one that probably everyone in the room, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you've probably all heard this Scripture before, Um, and I'm going to read it out of John chapter 4, and there's a key verse that we're going to crack on with a little bit later in verse 13, uh, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, but I'm going to actually read to you from verse 1, just to make things interesting. Sorry, Leanne. I'm going to read to you from the verse, uh, first verse of this chapter in chapter 4. It says this, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar or Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Verse 7, so a Samaritan, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? We're going to dance around chapter 4 of John here this morning. I pray that you can keep up. It's going to be here and there and we're going to drop into some other things, a bit of bit of unpacking of this famous story. There's lots of things to unpack. The first of three real observations we're going to land on this morning, the first of those observations is the woman. We need to unpack this woman, this lady at the well, this famous character in Scripture, this woman that goes to draw water at noontime. We've covered the fact that perhaps it was unusual in previous sermons and people's writing. We've covered perhaps that it was unusual for her to be there at midday. Because most women of that time who were responsible for getting the water would do it in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening. Very unusual for her to be out at noontime, right? And you go on to figure out why a little bit later. It's also sort of uh, interesting that she was on her own. Because again, the women would often do that together. It wasn't a solitary thing. It was something that the women would have done all together at one time. But she was on her own in the middle of the day. But I think for a lot of, maybe even church history, but for a lot of preaching that I've heard, even maybe you have, I feel like this woman is very misunderstood. In fact, she's been grossly misrepresented. The real story of this woman who's on her own at the well in the middle of the day talking to a strange man from an enemy state, her story is one actually of isolation and rejection. We read a few verses later that Jesus reveals to to the woman that Jesus knows that she's had five husbands. That's a lot of husbands. Perhaps even the 
the conclusion that's been drawn in the past that if she's had five husbands, that perhaps she's a bit of a scandalous woman. Maybe she's an adulterer. She's been with five men. Jesus even says that the woman, the husband that you're with or the man you're with is not even your husband. It means she's living in, in sin. She's immoral and scandalous. And we can kind of project onto this woman how awful she must be to have had five husbands. Does that sound sort of familiar? We're there, the woman at the well, the adulterous woman. But you've got to remember at this time, women in society at this time were seen as more property than social equals, than equal partners. In fact, they had very little ability to divorce themselves. This woman had either most likely outlived some of her husbands or been rejected by her husbands and cast out and had to marry again. Sort of see the kindness of Jesus as we kind of unpack this a little bit more. His question about her marriages wasn't rooted in judgment or conviction of previous mistakes, but it was actually in acknowledgement of her deep-seated rejection and isolation. You understand that these characters in the scriptures, they're not just ways to deliver a moral story. They're not just uh, objects in order for us to get from A to B. They're real people. She's somehow become a little bit more real. Her story is not a story of willful sin and bad decisions, but of being pushed and pulled in the tides of life that she's completely out of control of. Could we even say it was a life of pain and rejection, of wanting the best, but ending up crushed. Maybe this one won't reject me. Maybe he won't die before his time. A life of mismatched expectation and disappointment. You see, this woman at the well comes a little bit more real. She's not just part of the story where, you know, we have to get to the good stuff later. This woman at the well represents, or almost is representative of the human condition. A picture of anyone who has come to their well to draw water. Anyone coming to find refreshment of their own making and instead runs into Jesus. Jesus could have chosen to stay at anyone's house, could have chosen to go anywhere that day, could have figured out exactly where he could have gone, but he chose to sit at that well for a collision of humanity and the divine. There's this collision all of a sudden, isn't there, of pain and Jesus of rejection and Jesus, the collision of confusion and shame and secrets and guilt and misinformation and gossip and accusation and strife and struggle and tears and hopelessness and silence. Suddenly, Scripture turns this woman into anyone who has been hurt before, anyone who is buffeted by life and tossed to and fro. But how clear the picture of Jesus becomes in the middle of all of that as Jesus sits down at her well and shows her another way. Without pretense or demand, he reveals the solution, the way out, the path through to eternal refreshment. It's worth noting here, actually, in that part of Scripture, like all of Scripture, how important it is that Jesus is talking to a woman. But what that represents in Scripture as a whole, because Jesus talks about it, rather Paul talks about it later in his epistles, the relationship between the church And Jesus is one of the bride and the bridegroom, one of husband and wife. So when you see Jesus talking to a woman, you've got to listen. I'm not saying that the church is a woman, but Scripture clearly denotes us as the bride of Christ. So you've got to listen when Jesus is talking to women in the Bible. 
Because representatively, figuratively, he's speaking to the church. And how beautiful this is, is a picture of us as New Covenant, New Testament believers. We need to listen to what Jesus is revealing to the church, revealing to us as Christians. Second observation is this, the well. You've got to know about this well. It wasn't just any old well. It was Jacob's well. It says that he gave it to his son Joseph. It was a famous well, great renown. Scripture says it's located in a field. Most scholars figure out that it's probably Shechem. That was the first place God promised to Abram that he would be the father of a nation. This is a significant well. 500 years later, Joshua rededicates an entire nation in covenant with God at Shechem. And then Shechem itself becomes one of six refuge cities. Like, this is a big deal. It's a famous well. This isn't just any old well. Jesus has sat down at an important place. There's a lot of history, a lot of depth. But there's more truth to be found here than just a famous well. Jesus is doing something, revealing broader truths about his kingdom. It starts with what the well is even representative of in this passage. We could talk about how familiar that well was to the woman. Are you with me? It's a well-trodden path for her from her house to that well. It's a routine for her. She knows exactly when to go to that well when no one else is around. She's timed her visits that well. She's that habitual about it. She's got a routine. It's a familiar place for her. How like this woman in our own lives, often in our weakest, perhaps even at the best of times, sometimes we're at our most run out and we just need something familiar. How often do we make journeys to wells we've dug ourselves in an attempt to find refreshment in the heat of the day? Like this woman knew, that's where I need to get water. Potentially, she wasn't involved in collecting water for anyone else in the village. Otherwise, she probably would have been doing it with the women who do it normally. So that water was predominantly, let's say, for her. She was headed to that well for refreshment for herself. Maybe some of those wells in our lives, we've got them too. Maybe they're obvious to us. We can go to the wells of relationship. Are you with me so far? The wells that we dig ourselves. Going to friends or families or partners for affection and support. The well of work. Looking to our work or career to provide a sense of purpose or hope. The well of material possessions, stuff to make us feel better. The well of self. If I just dig, if I just do better, I'll be okay. The cult of self. Those are the good, nice wells, though, actually. Like, those are the ones you can talk about without cringing, without people getting tight in their seats and clenching everything. Thinking, yeah, well, that's, that's fine. The work of, yeah, well of work, that's not too scandalous. But there's a whole lot of other wells that we can't or don't ordinarily address, especially as Christians. We're secret wells, maybe. Well of addiction, hard drugs, binging alcohol. Maybe there's ones we don't want to even talk about beyond those, the less obvious ones, like the well of gossip to release tension about our own inadequacies, or the well of self-harm, or the well of painkillers, or the most disguised Christian well of all, the well of self-righteousness, the most poisonous one of all, believing you're better than anyone else because of what you do or don't do, passing silent judgment on others, or not-so-silent judgment. We've all got wells we've dug in our own time, in our own strength, wells that often give us some form of refreshment, some form of relief. Some of them are sustained and some are quick. These, these, these quick fixes, but the entire crux of it this morning 
The setup that John pulls us all into is this interchange between a woman who needs refreshment, but where she gets it from. Or in other phrasing, what or who is her life source? And it's really here we start to see the comparison start to build between a well and a spring. Between a well and a spring. Most of us don't have much to do with wells these days. Hands up if anyone's got a well on their property. I don't see that hand, of course. No one's got a well uh, on their property. You might have a dam if you live on acreage, but a well. I'm talking old school well, like wishing well with the bucket and the, the little wishing well kind of like, like wells. We don't, <laughs> we don't have them, right? Some communities in the world, though, they rely on the well. It's something that they can't survive without. But here's, here's what you might not be familiar with or what needs reminding about wells. See, wells are hand dug. They're dug from the rock or into deep soil, and they take a long time to shore up and engineer. Are you with me so far? They usually require structure and mechanisms and wood and stone walls. Wells take time to become pure. After the initial dig, dirt needs to settle. Water needs to purify. And once it's dug, the water doesn't just simply appear at times. The water retrieval takes human strength and effort and bucket and a rope and a walking to it and sweating and hard graft, hauling water from the very bottom of the well. It's deep. To fill your pot, you've got to let it down again. Wells can dry up. They can be contaminated. And depending on the season, the water can be low or high. Rains can come and potentially flood the well. Animals can stumble in. Enemies can poison wells. Starting to see what God's trying to paint a picture of here this morning. I pray you're listening. This well, although famous, although familiar and well-frequented, is being used in this scripture to paint a comparison between wells and springs. To paint a picture of wells dug by human effort and supernatural springs. We, um, if you read the newsletter this week, you would have heard that it wasn't that long ago that we went to Fraser Island. Has, has anybody been to Fraser Island before? Kagari, I think it's officially called now. Fraser Island... Amazing place, Sand Island, the biggest in the world. You have to take a four-wheel drive. There's a whole Facebook account called I Got Bogged in Skip Point. For those of you who are four-wheel drivers, everyone's like, yes, I love that Facebook account. Of chronicles of people who get bogged at in Skip Point. We were not one of those people who got bogged at in Skip Point. Thankfully, well, no one filmed it, at least. Let's just go with that. Um, but I had never driven on sand before in my life. And I loaded up the car with three kids and we loaded the roof with homemade roof racks made out of wire shelving that I cable tied to the roof. Um, and it was, it was an exciting time uh, for me. Everyone else was terrified. Um, and we were on the barge about to go onto the island. And for some reason, we were the first on the ferry. So that means you're the first off onto the softest sand of the island where it gets all churned up after you get off the ferry, you have to go over on the ferry. The gate's about to drop, and I say to the man, the ferry operator, the man who could well be a pirate himself, and I turned to him and I said, yeah, uh, you got any tips for um, when she get onto the island? You have to sound like that. You can't sound like a, a, an amateur. You have to sound like a professional, am I right? Four-wheel drivers at the back. Um, you have to sound like a pro. Any tips for anyone getting on the island? And you know what? I had the window down. And he looked at me, he turned to me and he said, yeah, mate, drive it like you stole it. <laughs> and that is exactly what I did. Like, legitimately, the gate drops onto the sand. And I'm like, this is it, babe. Everyone's hot. I'm like, hold on. 
Everyone's like holding on, like bracing themselves. The kids are in, at that point, the kids are in like baby seats. I think one of them was in a baby seat. And it was like, right, this is it. And just smashed it, took off on the, and we made it, thank the Lord. I didn't crash. We made it past. And I just kept my foot on the accelerator for like a good two kilometers. And Leah's like, Graham, Graham, you can slow down. You know, I just need to get clear. Anyway, so we made it all the way onto the island. That was probably the best moment. Uh, it went downhill from there. <laughs> Ended up getting bogged a number of times. I'm the only one who can dig. I have traumatic stress, like problems with listening to a specific audio book that the boys were listening to in the car. I can't listen to it anymore. It takes me back to being under the car with a very short shovel trying to dig out the sand. And yeah, I was. We were on our own. No one could. No one could winch us out. It was. It was it's an experience if you don't know what you're doing. Father, we just want to pray for Graham this morning that he'd be delivered from that. But we make it to Eli Creek. If you have never been there, Eli Creek. The most amazing, one of the most amazing parts of Fraser Island. I think I wrote in the newsletter, it pumps out 4 million liters of water every hour. That's 80 million a day, said another site. 80 million liters a day of brilliant, perfect, pure, fresh water. And actually, all of the tour guides and everyone, they come and set up shop, and then they take all of their containers to the very head of the spring, and they fill them all up. You can drink straight out the creek right at the top, probably not the bottom, but at the top, at least, you can drink right out of it, and you can float all the way down. It's this beautiful tropical paradise. It's cold. It's refreshing. It's beautiful. Lake Mackenzie, if you've ever been into Lake Mackenzie, you can swim with your eyes open, and you can drink the water as you swim. The further out you get, there's little freshwater turtles swimming past you. It's like this paradise, this amazing beautiful fresh water. That's the type of well, that's the type of spring that we're talking about this morning. 80 million liters a day. 80 million liters a day. It's that sense of fresh water, that place of refreshing, of boundless abundance and untapped limitless that you need to have in mind as we read this scripture this morning. Kicks off in verse 10. Jesus replies to the woman and he says, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. It's a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied this in verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water, pointing to the well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Are you listening? Can you see what God's doing here? In the middle of this woman's rejection, isolation, in her pain, Jesus gives her a way out, a way to eternal satisfaction and refreshment. The King James Version, sorry, the New King James says this. At the end there, it says, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. A fountain of water springing up. The comparison between a well and a spring, a deep deep well that you need a bucket that you have to sweat, that you have to toil over, to grab, to bring, to grab, to, um, to wind up versus a fountain, a fountain of water springing up. The real life-defining, world-changing refreshment that you require for your everyday life is not out there somewhere. It's not hidden at the bottom of a well. It's not dug with human hands or defined by human effort. 
The strength to overcome, to find refreshment, and the power to overcome is with Jesus living within. Remember what I said about the church, about this being a woman compared to the church? This, in truth, is a scripture about covenant. The old way, the old covenant, being based on effort and sweat and work and doing your part and you being responsible, being replaced with the new way, with a new covenant of unmerited favor, of grace and the spring within, the juxtaposition between law and grace of you being responsible versus what he has accomplished. Instead of trying to work to find peace, we're supplied with it. Instead of struggling for fulfillment, we're supplied with it. Instead of digging for strength, we're supplied with it. And like a natural spring, it requires no effort to tap into. (laughs) No digging needed. Like a natural spring, it's fresh and pure and unfiltered. And like a natural spring, it brings you the best balance of nutrients. Eli Creek has traveled for a hundred years before it gets to you. It's been coming for a hundred years, that water at Eli Creek. That's how long it's taken to get to the surface. It's that pure. The life-giving spring within you gives you supernatural strength. It says this in Colossians 1, verse 11. We pray, says Paul, that you will have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's a strength that endures the endurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. What about the scripture, that that song, our new song that we sang this morning, that scripture from Ephesians chapter 3 and 20? Listen to it again. It's probably the world's most famous passage of scripture. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power out there somewhere. Out there for you to find, out there for you to earn. No, his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. His power at work within us. I love that. Jesus puts it like this later on in the book of John. In chapter 7, verse 37, it says this, Jesus on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. There's so much more in that scripture that we're not going to have time to unpack. How about that was the Feast of Tabernacles and how every day that week the priest would come and take water from a spring and ceremonially march it back to the temple and pour it over the altar in thanks for what God was doing while they were in the desert. They're celebrating how Moses struck the rock. When they called out for refreshment, God told Moses, strike the rock and there'll be a spring of water come out. That's what they're celebrating in that feast where Jesus stands up. And what he's doing again is pointing out this this comparison between what you were doing once when you celebrated God doing something through one person while you were in the desert, all that time ago, you celebrate how God refreshed you there and then. How about you come to me, get your refreshment? How about those rivers of living water won't be found in a desert somewhere? They'll be found where? In you. They'll flow from your heart. All we need is an empty container. Something to be filled up. All we need is a empty vessel. 
<laughs> this ever-living spring within sounds great, but what do I need? If it's effortless, what do I need? You need an empty vessel. We're going to have an illustration this morning. Everyone loves a good illustration. It's kids, pastor, and me coming out. Can I get your help, please, Trevor and Matt? These guys are going to help me this morning with an illustration. Because I think a lot of times you can sort of get to these moments in Scripture and you think, wow, that sounds great. Good preaching, Graham. I could end there and just be like, be more refreshing. Do that thing. Get better. Listen harder. <laughs> but the reality is God meeting us in the middle of where we're at means a whole lot more. This is going to be good. By the end of this illustration, you will agree. How much does this sometimes can represent us as humans? An empty vessel for sure, but it's, it's filled with some other stuff, Graham. It's not empty, in fact. There's some other stuff in there. Stuff that we don't really always need in there. There's some bigger at the bottom. Just ignore the size. It doesn't matter what the sizes are. I'm not going to do the life lesson about do the big things first. That's not what we're doing this morning. Everyone's like, oh, I guess wrong. So there's things in there like, hmm, I don't know, maybe indifference or maybe there's, there's actual depression in there too. Maybe halfway down here there's maybe some self-righteousness as well. I haven't written on them, but you could easily write on all of those. Um, what else have we got in here? Let me just check my notes. Addictive habits, coping mechanisms, anxiety. There's some gossip right at the bottom here. There's negativity around the corner here. There's a bit too much TV around the corner here. There's a bit of short-tempered and angry. There's a bit of indifferent towards what God's promised. There's a bit of hopelessness as well. There's a, there's a little bit, just a little bit of faithlessness. Because he did promise me something once, but I'm on to my fifth husband now. And that one there, right at the bottom, that was, some, that was trauma that wasn't even my fault. I had nothing to do with that one. And it can, can seem like life is actually too full. There isn't anything that's not much I can do about that. <laughs> it's too full. We're full of stuff. And see, in the Old Testament, it demanded you, the old way, the law demanded that you get it right to root around and clean yourself out. And if I, if I could do it, maybe if I, I was really good at it, I could get right down and I could uproot a, I could uproot a couple and maybe, maybe, maybe I get to where I need to get to right at the very bottom if I worked really hard and I made a big mess. That's the old way. But here's what happens in the new way. Here's what happens in the new way. See, this life-giving spring, when it starts to work in us, and for us, and around us, it's close. It's close. I'm going to do this one, this big one now. Oh, everyone's like, Graham, are you sure? See what starts to happen to some of those things in our lives. As that spring keeps pouring, as that refreshment keeps growing. Okay, I'm going to stop there because that's often where a lot of us stop gotten rid of just enough to appear normal. Just enough to appear like everything's okay. Someone asked me on a Sunday, how you going? Yeah, good. I'm all right. I'm kind of, I'm normal-ish. <laughs> like some of the big ones, like some of the stuff's gone. And that's maybe how we can live our lives sometimes, right? Day to day. 
we haven't quite dealt with everything. But there's just enough. The spring's there, yeah, sure. There's just enough to have figured it out. But if we, if we continue to let God be our strength, if we surrender, all the more if we submit, if we let go, if we give him permission, if we acknowledge his lordship, if we yield to his spirit, you already know what's going to happen. As we see that spring grow and grow in our hearts, don't worry, there's another one. The mess is fine. Sometimes it is messy. As the water pours and pours into our lives and into our hearts, don't worry about them. It's fine. Oh, yeah, worry about the laptop. I want to save a little bit of water. I want to save, I want to save a little bit of water for the end. That spring, see what's happened? Everything's gone, right? They're like, Graham, we're not children. We can see what's happened. But when we turn our eyes back to him with the strength that he supplies and look at the work of a loving savior, that happens. And here's the amazing part, though. The same stuff can re-enter our lives. It's not a promise for you to avoid all hurt and pain in your existence. The promise is that you would have the strength to endure it. So all this stuff can come back, can't it? Oh, that trauma came of it. Oh, that thing that happened. Oh, they said that. And now I'm negative and I've fallen back into that habit and this isn't going great. Something's happened again. We're back almost to where we started. But can you see the difference? When you're in the word, when you're receiving that strength, it just takes a little bit. Everyone's really nervous. You see, they just pour out because the spring keeps pouring. There's, a, there's an exchange, right? As the, as the spring keeps pouring out, there's nothing that can take root. And all of a sudden, the stuff that was at the very bottom, the stuff that was hardest to get to, the stuff that we didn't know how we'd be able to deal with, all of a sudden is just floating on the surface because of who God is. Not because you've got to the bottom, but because of the spring that has risen in you. Are you with me? i got a few minutes left. The last thing I want to talk about. We've had the woman, the well... The last thing is the jug. It says this in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. Just then. They always miss the good stuff. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Emphasis added by Graham. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what are you doing with her? What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? You can imagine them all nudging each other. Why are you doing this? Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Her final telling act at the well was to abandon the jug she took to fill. Are you listening? She abandons her self-drawn water and leaves with such purpose and mission and joy, filled with an eternal spring from bearing water to bearing Christ, transformed from the carrier of earthly refreshment to carrying eternal refreshment. I think the question to take away is how willing are we, after an encounter with Jesus, to leave the container at the well, to empty ourselves instead and walk away being the living vessel? Not just coming to him with a predetermined container for him to fill for us, but to find a spring of eternal refreshment that never runs out, that's always pure and always life-changing and so transformative. What follows 
after this particular moment is what I think is probably the best part of the whole scripture. Because for whatever was accomplished in the life of that woman, whatever was accomplished in the life of that woman at the well, it immediately has an effect on the world around her. If you listen to nothing else but this this morning, listen to this. The spring within you is not only for you. Are you listening? This spring that is deep within you, that spills out and flows out from you, is not just for you. That would be a very selfish gospel, that it only stopped with you. It's not a spring to be tapped or confined and held within managed and controlled conditions. Unlike a well where the water is only found from others coming to the well, the immediate effect of this eternal spring is what? The woman heading back into the village, taking the eternal freshman with her. It says that in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back into the village. She leaves the well and spreads the good news. And in fact becomes the first ever recorded evangelist in the history of Christendom. <laughs> Leads many to Jesus. It says they streamed from the village to meet Jesus. I pray this is our story. Listen. MCC on Springs Drive. May it be a flowing spring of life and refreshment and hope and faith, a center filled with believers pouring out into the community, telling others of this Jesus we've met, of the good news being told, of springs of life and refreshment sent out. MCC, we are more than a building. As miraculous as this center is, and I thank God for it every day, as miraculous as it is, it's only a building if it's not filled with spirit-led, Bible-believing Christians building a home for this community to find Jesus, to be the fountainhead of refreshing in life. Don't misquote me. We need this building. This is what contains, what holds on to this incredible spring, the fountainhead. That's what we've been called to be, not just though as a center, as a building on Springs Drive, but by the people who are in it. it says this in verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged Jesus to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many to hear his message and believe. They said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. May that be our prayer. For us individually and corporately to be a spring of living water, a place of refreshing and hope and life, people that can't stay quiet about Jesus and is what he's done for us, that our services on a Sunday and our midweek ministries would be an oasis of life and safety. I've got one more thing to let you know about this woman. And you can find this out yourself. This isn't, I didn't make this up. Google it. But I need to tell you her name. This woman at the well, she had a name. It's not recorded in scripture, but church tradition and early records of church history tell us her name. She's not just a nameless widow or a nameless divorcee. She has a name. And her name was Fotini. The Orthodox Church has made her a saint, if you needed to know that. 
but she was renamed by the apostles of the early church. Her name means the enlightened one. Doesn't mention much about her, uh, obviously, in Scripture other than what we've got. But there's reliable sources dating back as early as the Gospels that list her among the apostles as a key figure in the rise of the Christian message of the known world at the time. Read for yourself, but here's some things that Fatini accomplished in her life. She was baptized by the disciples that we all know and was the first evangelist with a documented 30-year ministry. She traveled across the Mediterranean preaching and spreading the gospel. She ended up in Carthage where she proclaimed the truth with her sisters and her children. Her son was a decorated soldier in the Roman army and wrote about how amazing his mum was and everyone who was getting saved and we've got records of that. She was then summoned to Rome to face Nero. Crazy Nero, if you know your history, unhinged Nero, Christian prosecuting, kill them alive, Nero, because she was so good at evangelizing the known world. He wanted to know if he could break her. There's lots of legends about trying to break bones and them not being broken, about her children being thrown into fiery furnaces. But while she was in captivity, she converted Nero's daughter, Domnina. And all of the court that surrounded Domnina, Nero's daughter was saved because of Fotini. And how's this? She dies a martyr's death. Tradition saying she died after being thrown into a dry well. What a poetic ending. Whether all that is completely true about being thrown into a well or not, it's, it's irrelevant to the fact that she went on to upturn the world for Jesus. Because of that encounter at the well where she realized that the spring wasn't found somewhere else. We didn't even talk about the Samaritan and Jewish arguments about where it was best to worship and who was right and who was wrong and which mountain and where they had to please God from the most. Jesus throws it all out the window and says, it's not about that, it's about me in you. Let alone that she goes on to change the world. I want to take a moment right now for people who haven't yet met this Jesus at the well people who haven't yet encountered this Jesus, who, who maybe have come to the well this morning, this well that you've come to quite a few times. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was some other time. Maybe it's daily. You walk in your familiar path to your well of refreshment. But meeting you there, that's the beauty of this scripture, is it's a picture of humanity. It's actually the gospel spelt out that in our humanity, in our own attempt to refresh ourselves, Jesus meets us at the well, sits down with us and says, I can tell you things that no one else knows, but I can give you something that no one else can give. Eternal refreshment. This is a story about salvation. This isn't just a story about overcoming life's problems. It's not a self-help thing. This is a story about salvation. And with every eye closed, every Christian believing, I want to give an opportunity for people to respond. Like that woman at the well, respond to Jesus and acknowledge his lordship. Jesus wasn't not Lord until she said so. He was always Lord. But in that moment, she, she, she acknowledged his lordship. And I know there's people here who haven't yet received Jesus into their mess their filled up vessel that needs emptying, that needs the eternal spring of salvation, of eternal life. I know there's people here who haven't had that yet. I'm going to give you the opportunity. It's, it's a moment for you to say, I want that. I need that. I need him in my life. See all those balls in that, in that, in that vase? We name them lots of other things, but that's sin. 
Anything that separates you from him. Your human nature, in fact, separates you from sin, separates you from God. Jesus made a way when he died. When he died on a cross and he rose again, unblocked the fissures of your heart, healed you, gave you an eternal spring. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. Let me know that you want to receive Jesus into your heart, into your life. Thank you. Is there anybody else who needs him this morning? People perhaps that have once experienced this freedom, but have allowed things to clog you up, to get in the way, to obscure your view, to change your perspective, to to bring negativity and other people's, other people's opinions into your life. If that's you, maybe once you made a decision, but you slipped back into your old ways this morning, Jesus sits at your well and says, I've got something that will never run dry. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand as well. If you've walked away, if you turn from God, you might feel far from him, but he is never far from you. Thank you. Amazing. We're going to pray. Everybody here, we're going to pray a prayer together. Simple prayer, it goes like this. Everybody repeat it after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you now for what you've done for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again, for giving me your spirit, for giving me eternal life. I'm sorry, Lord, for everything I've done wrong. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your eternal spring. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen and amen. Why don't you give those people a round of applause. Rejoice with them. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.